Colossians chapter 3 and starting at verse 8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome. Uh, Great to see you all. Let's pray, and then we'll have a look. Our Father, what a wonderful picture we have here in this chapter of your church, of us uh, living together with wonderful love and concern for one another. It doesn't always seem to work that way. So please help us understand how we're to live. Above all, give us the grace, the strength. Transform us by your spirit so that we do indeed live this way to the praise of your name. Amen. Uh, Now, it may have been a while for you, but let me just remind you if that's the case, that dressing up is an enormous amount of fun. Fancy dress is fun. Now, this may still be a frequent occurrence for a number of you, um, uh, for me now, it's somewhat limited to uh, kid slots in Sunday morning church. But dressing up is fun. And the great appeal of dressing up is that you put on something and you become a new character. So very quickly, and these are not, these are fairly obvious. You, you put on, you put on this and everyone knows what you are and you get in character. Um, and, uh, if you're a London Bobby, apparently you're overweight, but we won't go into that. Um, there's that, or, uh, you know, similarly, you can be a hero to someone else very quickly. You know, you put it on, and, you know, you're in action, it's all, it all works. Very straightforward. What else have we got in here? Uh, back in time, uh, a uh, tricorder hat, <laughs> and you can stand and deliver. It's quickly, you put on, you, everyone knows what you are. Well, I've told you, but anyway, you would have known. And uh, uh, one of my favourites... So it's brilliant. Um, put it on, you become the character. Take it off. Put it on, you become the character, and it's something. That is the metaphor. It's very simple, isn't it? You put on the costume, and you become that character. It's a very straightforward metaphor. It's the one that dominates this section of Colossians chapter three. Look down with me, verse ten. 
verse 10, you have put on the new self. Verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now we have to unpick that a little bit. But Paul is saying, you have put on the new character in Jesus Christ. Therefore, put on the character of Jesus Christ. Both. It's classic biblical thinking. There's an indicative, God has done this to you. God has clothed you with new life. Therefore, live that way. Put on this new character. It's classic biblical thinking. Be entirely inappropriate in Paul's thinking to, uh, to be clothed with Christ, but not live that way. That would be ridiculous. And in one sense, that makes sense to us. If you, if you become something new, you should live that way. So imagine a, um, a professional soldier goes in the army, age 21, and uh, comes out uh, about the age 30 and decides he's had enough of that and he's going to retrain. So retrains as a medic. Slightly long retraining, but anyway, he retrains as a medic and uh, whatever it is, seven years or so later, he's, uh, he's qualified as a medic and he's on the wards one day, but all of a sudden he has a little bit of a flip out. And uh, he's, he's, doing, he's got his stethoscope and he's on the wards and he's seeing his patient and all of a sudden he just runs to the loo comes back in his army fatigues with a machine gun. This is right, you horrible lot. Get your lazy butts out of bed or I'll jump up and down upon you and use you as a trampoline. Get on, come on, move. And he starts sort of firing this gun up and down and all around the ward. And so one of his colleagues says, um, can, you, can you put that down, please? You've put on a new role now. You're a doctor now. It is, to put it mildly, inappropriate to be firing a machine gun and bellowing at your patients like that. You have put on something new. Live that way. You've put on doctor. Be a doctor. You put off soldier. Leave it alone. Don't go back to that. That is ridiculous. You've put on a new life. Live that way. That is essentially what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 3. Now, we've been in this book of Colossians for uh, a while now, and we said the main point is this. Uh, some false teachers had come in, or emerged, entirely sure, from the church in Colossae, and they had said to these Christians, you're going okay, you made a reasonable start, but you're lacking something. You, you're never going to push on to maturity. What you need is you need some angelic experiences. They'll help you mature. You need to, uh, here are some regulations we've designed or, or slightly distorted from the Old Testament. You need to live these out in your life. And then, well, then you might push on to maturity. And throughout the letter, Paul's point has been very simple. You're completing Christ. You're completing Christ. The series is called. You have all you need in him. You don't need these experiences. You don't need these regulations. You're complete in Christ. You have everything you need. And um, that is how you'll grow in the Christian life. Through the fact that you are united to him. And so we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 3, if you're a Christian, you're united to Jesus Christ in his death, in his resurrection. Therefore, resurrection power is at work within you. The power of the future has broken through to the present. Do you remember chapter 3, verse 1? Paul can describe us believers as raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. Not spatially. 
But there's an inward resurrection taken place. There's an outward resurrection. That'll come at the end of history. Don't worry about that. But there's an inward resurrection that has taken place. If you're a Christian, you're raised with Christ. You're different. You're new. The resurrection power of the future has broken into the present. You're different. And continuing with him, that's how you'll grow in the Christian life. Continue with Christ. Now, we considered this last week and uh, essentially just looked at I guess you could say the theory of how Paul spelt it out. Remember, you, you have been raised with Christ, therefore set your minds on things above and put to death sin. Now Paul is going to apply that to a whole range of relationships. So the rest of the book finishes pretty much like this. I've scribbled it down on the sheet. Maturity is not seen in angelic experiences. It's not seen in, um, in uh, holding fast to regulations. It's seen in continuing with Christ and it's seen in relationship. In the Christian faith, maturity is not a solitary activity. You cannot be mature on your own. We need one another. Maturity is seen in these relationships. So Paul's going to work it out. It goes a bit like this. So maturity is seen, we looked last week, in our relationship with Christ, verses 5 to 7. Tonight it's seen in the church, verses 8 to 17. Uh, then um, after Easter, we'll return, and it's seen in the family, verses 18 to 21. It's seen in the workplace, verse 22 to 41. It's seen in relating to outsiders, Paul's phrase here at the end of the chapter, for those who don't yet know Christians. Maturity is seen in our relationships. So we're going to see the working out of being raised with Christ in a whole number of different areas as the weeks go on. Tonight, then, it's the church. It's a beautiful picture of the church. But maturity cannot be seen in solitary Christian living. So you get a sort of parallel here. Verse 5, there were five ugly sins that will destroy our relationship with God. We looked at these last week. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, it's adultery. Verse 8, now here are five ugly sins that will destroy our relationship with one another. So there's a little parallel here. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Get rid of all of them. See, here's Paul's argument. It goes a little like this. It's very straightforward. You have put on the image of Christ, verses 9 to 11. That's the first point. So put on the character of Christ, verses 12 to 14. Be what you are. Okay, let's work through it. It's a little more complicated than that. First then, verse 9. Uh, You've put on the image of Christ, 9 to 11. Let me read it again. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Get rid of all these sins, especially lying, which completely destroys any relationship. Get rid of them all. Why? Well, because... Verse 9, you have taken off your old self and you have put on the new self. Now, presumably, I take it's the case, before you become a Christian, you may not notice how bad these things are. We just take them for granted. We just live with them. So anger, well, everyone gets a bit angry, don't they? It just happens. Don't get too upset about it. Rage, malice, slant, filthy language. I mean, woo, just pops out of everyone. Does it? They're not too bad. Paul is saying, now you're a Christian, those are utterly incongruous. Lying, 
White lies too. Utterly incongruous if you're a Christian. You've put off that set of clothes. You put on the new self. Live this way. 20 degrees this week in London. Did you enjoy 20 degrees? It just hit those heights. 20 degrees. Barbecue weather, almost. Um, it's sort of thing. You, oh, in the afternoon, you plan a barbecue. Then it gets in the evening. It gets very cold. And you slightly forget it's not the summer yet. But you know, sometimes you have a barbecue. And you cook on the barbecue. It's fun. You have a good time. It's terrific. You, uh, and then everyone goes home. And uh, you get ready for bed. You take off your clothes. Throw them on a chair. Fine. No problem. The next day, you get up. You have a shower. You think, I wonder if I can wear that shirt again. Whoa! It stinks! It stinks! What about the jeans? <sighs> no, just as bad. See, when you're wearing them and it's the evening and you're barbecuing, you don't notice, you're just in the midst of things. The next day, when, you, when you've changed to go back to them, they stink. That's Paul's point here. You've taken off one self. You've put on the new self. Don't go back. It stinks. It stinks. Don't go back. You've taken off. You've put on. You've been changed. Now notice a couple of things about these clothes. It's really a character. It's really a work. Sorry. It's um, what is the old self and the new self? That's God's work of changing us. It's the same principle we looked at last week. God giving us an inward resurrection. When you become a Christian, you have new life. That's taken place. Now two things to notice about these clothes. The first is this, they don't quite fit you yet. Do you see that verse 10? You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. If you're a Christian, you've got a new self, but it doesn't quite fit you yet. You're not mature yet. You're not perfect yet. Do you remember how it was... um, uh, age 11, you went to secondary school, or it doesn't work if you're from the States, high school at 14, whatever, whatever. Uh, you, you go up a school, and classically what would happen, your mother would buy you a blazer, and the sleeves would be sort of down there somewhere. You know, you get super long sleeves, and your mum would say, grow into it. It'll be fine, you'll grow into it. And because uh, you know, Just give it a year or so, and then it'll fit. And that's kind of the picture here. Paul is saying, you've put on the new self, but it is being renewed still. You're growing into this character. It's God is renewing you, even though you've got a new self upon you. It's being renewed, verse 10, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Well, in Colossians, remember, chapter 1, verse 15 onwards, Jesus Christ is the one who, by whom all things are created. So I think That's the emphasis here. So you're growing into Jesus Christ, growing in the knowledge, in the knowledge in the image of its creator. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, it's a big issue in Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 3. You have to grow in knowledge. Not angelic experiences, but you just have to understand the truths about Jesus Christ more. You can't, grow in Christ without your brain, you do need to know about him. That's why later on we'll be taught. So there's the first thing about this close. You have put on the new self when you become a Christian. God has put it on, technically. It doesn't quite fit. You are growing into the image of Jesus Christ. There's the first little thing. The second little thing about these clothes is 
if I could put it this way, uh, we all wear the same clothes. <laughs> Terrible, is it? Uh, it's a corporate sense to being renewed. So verse 11, look down at verse 11. I have to say, at the beginning of this week, I could not work out what verse 11 was doing here. Just seemed randomly thrown into the middle. I couldn't see why we didn't go just from verse 10 to verse 12. You've, you've put on the new clothes, therefore clothe yourself. What, what's verse 11 doing there? Until I realized, when Paul talks about being remade, it's what we do together. It's not a solitary project, growth in the Christian life. We are being changed together. Humanity here in verse 10 and 11 is being remade in the image of Christ so that he fills our vision and all the other labels we might use for ourselves drop away. So he says, verse 11, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all in all. What he's saying there is, we may in the past have boasted of our intellectual superiority over people, but now Christ is my all in all. I, just, I care about him. We may in the past, like the Jews, boasted of a moral superiority over the rest of the world. But now that I'm in Christ, I don't care about that. He's my all in all. I may have in the past boasted about my... I don't know, superior culture to some of the other people in London or in the UK. But now Christ is my all in all, and that label is not very significant anymore. I may in the past have boasted of my racial superiority somehow. But now Christ is my all in all. He's the label that defines me, and everything else needs to fall away. Far less important. Do you see, this is, Paul is encouraging a corporate sense. We'll grow together. We'll change together. It's not just your particular project or your particular change project or God is changing you. God is changing us. It's a corporate activity that Paul is wishing to stress. You have put on the new self. And look at our character now. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, chosen people, wow, holy, Wow. Dearly loved. Wow. We're different. You've put on the image of Christ. Or technically you've put on the new self which is being transformed into the image of Christ. But you've put on the image of Christ when you become a Christian, says Paul. Now, put it on. You see, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Put on these clothes. Essentially, it is the character of Jesus Christ that we get described here. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Five wonderful, beautiful characteristics as opposed to the five ugly sins of verse 8. Wonderful. Put these on. Live this way. All of these are, I guess you'd say, they're qualities that um, esteem others more highly than ourselves. All of these, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, they're, they're other person-centered. They have a concern for the welfare of others rather than ourselves. God has changed you. You have put on the new self. Now, because you're different, live this way. 
So verses 12 to 14, put on the character of Christ. Now what does it mean, put them on? Uh, Simply this, display them, do them, in the knowledge that this is how God has treated you. Now I'd love to work through them all, we may do this at a later point. But just tonight, let me just give you one or two examples. Compassion. Compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. That's how we're to treat one another. It's a... um, it's a splendid word, this one is one of my nice words. I like this word. Splachna in the Greek. Splachna. It literally means guts. Show guts to one another. By that, the, the, the original thoughts were, show gut-wrenching concern. You know, sometimes something you, someone tells you something, you just feel, oh, you just feel a little bit sick in your stomach. Yeah, that's right. Have that sort of level of concern. For one another. Compassion, gut-wrenching concern. Jesus in the New Testament is the only one who actually shows compassion. The only real person. I'll explain that. So classically, um, uh, Matthew 9, he looks upon the people. They are sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion upon them. He cares deeply for them. Throughout the Gospels, he's the only person who has compassion apart from in two of his parables. So the father of the prodigal son when he sees his son coming back, the father shows him compassion. You know how that story works? He's thrilled. He gives to them. He gives and gives. The only other character who shows compassion in the Gospels is um, uh, the Samaritan. The good Samaritan who uh, picks up the guy who's been beaten up on the uh, Jericho Road. What does he do? He's Active in caring for him. Compassion. Gut-wrenching concern for the other. And so Paul says, put that on. God has shown you enormous compassion in Jesus Christ. Now show that to other people. We can go through the same list uh, for kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. But alongside this beautiful picture of verse 12, you get realism. And um, I wouldn't say I love, but it's striking the contrast. Verse 12, okay, you're going to be people, listen church, you're going to be people of compassion and love and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It's going to be great. Verse 13, I look, do bear with one another. Forgive one another what grievances you may have. Forgive. There's sort of realism there. There's the sort of heightened, this is what you can be. Verse 13, now in the meantime... While we're working it out, let's be realistic here. People are annoying. And there are these three in particular uh, imperatives, let me put it that way, that, uh, that hang off it. So bear with one another, forgive one another, and love one another. Because we're capable of great good, verse 12, but great evil as well. There's realism. You know the story of the, uh, uh, the guy who gets stranded on the desert island for six months. Just him and his thoughts uh, for six months. Eventually, a ship comes by and uh, rescues him. And uh, they rode ashore. And the man is over over the moon. His beard is obviously down on the floor. And he's over the moon to see these rescuers. And there are three buildings, three little huts that the guy has built on the beach. And to the rescue team, say, oh, what's that hut? Oh, that's my house. That's where I lived. Oh, okay. And what's that hut over there? Oh, that's my church. That's where I went and, and prayed and sung and worshipped. Oh, okay. What's that hut over there, the third one? Oh, that's my old church. I had to leave there. There were lots of things I didn't like about that one. I had to go to the move to the new one. Um, I can't believe you've not heard that. The, um, 
Of course, whilst I was expressing, his people get grumpy about extraordinary things. It's making the more pointed truth. Often the problem is... Well, maybe here. <laughs> uh, that may be where the problem is. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Let me um, comment on them more briefly. Bear with one another. Now, this is not a stoical... Well, I'll bear with him, pain as he is. I'll endure him, and it's very good of me because he's unpleasant and unreasonable. No, as someone who is clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bear with. Now, there's honesty here, isn't there? Sometimes we need to bear with people. I have a... I wouldn't say I mustn't overstretch this, but I do have a lot of conversations, I think, over in the course of a year of someone will come and say, I look them in church, they've been unthinking, they've been unreasonable, they've been unkind. And generally speaking, I don't care not to caricature, but generally speaking, I'll listen, yeah, yeah. That is bad. What did you expect? What did you expect? People are sinful. People are unreasonable. I'm self-centered, so are you. We make mistakes. What do you expect? If you're only going to have friends who love you perfectly, you're going to be pretty lonely. If you're only going to go and be part of a church which is perfectly affirming and gets you, mm, understands you right every time, you're going to be searching a long time. You're going to be building your own. And then another and another. Okay, they've been unreasonable. Yeah, they have. I can see that. What do you expect? And um, what are you going to do? You're going to bear with them. You're going to forgive them. People are unreasonable. Happens all the time. Let me, let me try and um, uh, touch a little closer. There are many ways we could cut this, but let me just make one example, one practical example. How this might become a bit of an issue of failing to bear with one another in a congregation such as this one. Leaders and led. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. Leaders and led. Could be Sunday school, could be a serving team, could be musicians, could be a small group. Leaders and led. And the leaders get together and say, why aren't people growing? Why aren't people getting more mature? Why aren't people arriving? Why aren't people turning up? Very annoying. Why are people always throwing their toys out of their prams? Just the crash. The, um, oh, why don't... Why aren't people maturing? It's very frustrating that people aren't more mature and more committed and do what I tell them to do. It's very annoying, say the leaders, and they get together and, are you annoyed? I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed too. We're all annoyed. Meanwhile, as the camera goes to the other room, the lead, the small group or whatever it is, the band members, the serving team, whatever it turns out to be, the lead say, they are so demanding. They are so unreasonable. They expect so much. I, can't, I just can't believe it. I cannot. Be- Did you see that email he sent? Did you see it? Did you read it? How insensitive. I can't believe he put that word in there. Which word? I don't know, but it was awful. <laughs> we, are you annoyed? I'm annoyed. Are you annoyed? I'm annoyed too. Yeah, we're all annoyed. We're all annoyed with one another. Oh dear. They shall spur one another on. Is the leader annoyed? The leaders are annoyed? And everyone sits there and says, no one understands what my life is like but me. No one understands what my life is like but me. 
And the answer to that is, no. I mean, the Lord does. He knows better than you do. But actually, of course, no one knows your life as better as you do. No one else spends as much time with you as you do. It would be a surprise if someone knew your life. No one understands me perfectly. Well, God does, and beyond that, no, they don't. That's just how it is. What are you going to do? Bear with one another. Of course, we'll do... Now, it doesn't mean you ignore everything. If someone profoundly irritates you, you have a conversation. You get together. You say, look... uh, I don't want to make a big fuss, I don't want to do this aggressively, but I need you to know, I, I wonder if, look, when you put it that way, you really upset, well, okay. There's a way of having these conversations. But character assassination in the dark, that's, that's not it. You need to bear with one another. In a similar way, second little imperative that hangs off here, forgive one another. Now here we give an extra motivation. So verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, brackets, unless it's, unless it's a thing about money or unless they've commented upon your appearance because that's profoundly annoying and, and they, no one ever really understands. No, no. Actually, oh, there aren't any exemptions. Huh. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive how? Oh, goodness me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, no, you've got to play the Jesus card. Because how does he forgive? Well, proactively. He takes the initiative. He came down when we were still his enemies. Undeservedly. We rejected him, said we want nothing to do with you. He said, I know, I know you hate me, but I will die for you. Repeatedly. We commit the same sins over and over. And he says, yes, I died for that one. And for that one. Yes, you're still doing that and committing that sin, but I've still died for that. How does Jesus forgive proactively, undeservedly, repeatedly? So when someone is unkind or insensitive or unreasonable, how, how would Paul call us to forgive? Proactively? undeservedly, repeatedly. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When someone neglects us, forgets us, mistreats us, we're to relate on the basis of mercy and grace. Not justice, which we may demand. Look, I know we get this wrong all the time. I got this very wrong last week. Last week, uh, I... um, Probably, maybe, ought to have gone to uh, some uh, minister's conference uh, in London. I, uh, I didn't go. And uh, then I saw one of the ministers the next day who said, Oh, you're too important to come to this conference now. Too important, are you? Now, he didn't ask me why I wasn't there. He didn't ask, didn't investigate. And the truth was, we had a mini family crisis. That's why I wasn't able to go to that thing. He took no no concern, didn't know that actually we'd had a miserable day the day before, just came in, you're just too important. And was just, I'm reasonable about it. Now what should I have done? It's a small thing. But what should I have done? I should have said to myself, well that was a silly thing for him to say. That was unkind and silly. But hey, we all do unkind and silly things. So, you know, God forgives me, I'll forgive him, it's not a great deal. That's what I should have done. (laughs) What I did was get out my phone and ring a mate and say, hey, Minister X, 
you know, he's quite well known. Uh, he said this and did this. How unreasonable is that? Yeah, that was really unreasonable. Yes! <laughs> You've told me precisely what I wanted to hear. Thank you. And so what have I done? I've sort of sl- mildly slandered someone's... I mean, how? Idiot. Fool. Why did I do that? I was irritated. I was proud. I'd forgotten how God treated me. He forgave me, even though I didn't deserve it. It's just a small thing. Forgive, as the Lord forgave you. Or to put it the other way around, uh, about a month ago, whenever I use these illustrations, they're not in this church, so it's, uh, just be safe, don't look around and think. But about a month ago, someone said to me, I've, um, I've been able to forgive you now for what you said to me a year ago. Now, what do you do when someone says that? Because you can't say, what did I say? Because <laughs> that's just going to make it worse, isn't it? I, I've, I've forgiven you for what you said a year ago. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pleased. And of course, everything in me is trying to, you know, wants to ask two questions. One, what did I say? Two, what are you talking about? <laughs> a year? Why didn't you come and speak to me? Why didn't you tell me so I had a chance to apologize? You've been carrying unforgiveness for a year? What's that done to you spiritually? I mean, Jesus thinks forgiveness is pretty important in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's quite important. Bearing grudges is utterly destructive of your relationship with the living God. So forgive. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Last thing. Uh, love one another. Uh, love one another. So verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Not that love trumps everything else, but the sense here that love ties them. Love is the belt that holds everything else together. Put on love. Now, what does that, I mean, in one sense, it's vague, isn't it? Love one another. Yeah, I, I know. Let me, again, in one sense, it's arbitrary. I know that. But let me just make one practical application as I sit to the life of a congregation such, such as this. Love one another. One element of that, honor your commitments to one another. I read a ridiculous article uh, um, in the uh, Evening Standard this week. But introduced me to a new word which I hadn't discovered before: the social liar. Social liar, uh, crashed together. Social liar, and the social liar is the one who, you know, you know, you know, looks on Facebook. There's that party, Twitter. Okay, there's this going on. There's that going on. You coming out on Tuesday night? Yeah, maybe. Um, you coming? You coming to the cinema on Tuesday? Yeah, maybe. You coming out to uh, for dinner on Tuesday? Yeah, maybe. And never really uh, just commits to anything, or even worse, you're coming out to uh, the cinema on Tuesday night, yeah, yeah, I'm there, and it gets to Tuesday, hey, I've got tickets to go and see X in concert tonight, do you want to go and see that? Oh, yes. Um, Dear Mr. Cinema, I'm afraid something's come up at work. Technically true, it's a work colleague that's offered me the tickets, but I can't tell you that. Something's come up at work, so I can't make it tonight. And of course, now you just text or email. It's impersonal. You don't even have to phone them, which is, would be a, a little bit embarrassing or in speak them face to face. So apparently this is a London phenomenon. We, uh, a generation of socialiers. 
just don't break, sorry, don't keep their commitments to one another. That's not love. But it's so common, it's got a label. I'm a socialite. I'm not, I hope. But um, honour your commitments. You say you're going to do something, do it. A better offer comes along. That's a shame. Bad luck next time. As we Christians don't say. The, um, but you know, you, you just there'll be another time. Or someone, a, a mother, vividly um, told me the other day, she was uh, at home with her, her teenage son. I said to teenage son, hey, I, thought, I thought you were going to meet Ben tonight. Yeah, I was, but I decided to uh, to stay here would be more relaxing. I was somewhat surprised when, her mother, when his mother came back at him. I beg your pardon? Relaxing? Relaxing? Is that how I raised you? To choose the thing which is most relaxing? Is that how you're going to go through all of your life? The most relaxing option? You said you were going to meet him. Now get out and go and meet your friend. Go. Go on. Oh, okay. And, um, off you went. Yeah, because I I had agreed, I promised to meet up, but, you know, well, I was going to go to that tonight, but, you know, I just, you know, I've been a little busy. I need need some me time. Uh, So, sorry, can't come tonight because I need, no, because of something. And off it goes, off goes the text. No love. One way, in one sense it's an arbitrary thing, but it's a pattern, an unpleasant pattern that can take place. Commit. One way of expressing our love is to be committed to one another. Look, do you see Paul's point? You've put on the new self. You've been transformed when you become a Christian. New life is within you. The resurrection life of Jesus Christ is within you when you become a Christian. Now, you have been changed. You have put on the new self. Live that way. Don't go back to the old life. It stinks. It stinks. Don't go back. Live that way. This little section finishes just with three, three practical ways to help with that. A sentence on each. First, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. That's not an inner peace. Or, mm, it's not that. It's talking about harmony. You have peace amongst you as a group. Now keep that. Maintain that. There'll always be disagreements in a church. Always. But don't let the disagreements trump the unity you have in Jesus Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule. Second thing, practically, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, verse 16. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God, teach the word of Christ. We considered this back in uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Teach and admonish one another. Positively, we need to teach one another. Negatively, we need to say to one another, stop that. That's part of growing. If we're going to maintain unity, we need to teach one another the scriptures. If you just pursue, if we all pursue angelic experiences, we'll fracture apart. If we all pursue imposing regulations, we'll fracture apart. But teaching the word of Christ, that'll unite us. So let's do it to one another. And third, so uh, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ, uh, teach the word of Christ. Last little thing. Give thanks for the work of Christ. Very striking. Verse 15, end of. Be thankful. Verse 16, sing with gratitude. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him. Three times. 15, give thanks. 16, with gratitude. 17, give thanks. We've had it before. Chapter 1, verse 12, be thankful. Chapter 2, verse 7, be thankful. Thankfulness. 
for what Jesus Christ has done, do you know what it, it stops us navel-gazing. And it's an irony, well, not an irony, but it's how the Christian life works. If we want to, be, have, if we want to have terrific relationships with one another, we need to look up before we look around. We need to remind ourselves what Jesus Christ has done for me. He's done it for her and for him and for him and for you if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ has united us. Look up for what he's done. Be thankful for what he's done. Okay, now let's have a look around. Gosh, I can help them. Compassion on them. Don't you, haven't you seen that? Haven't you known times of that in your own Christian life? Last thing, the most, uh, the most vivid time this came home to me, I was, it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I was a university student. One summer, I went off to Nicaragua and uh, was building a church with a team of, uh, there was uh, 11 of us helping to build a, uh, no, it's not school, um, build a school for a church on this remote island. And about four weeks in, we were going to be together for 10 weeks. Four weeks in, we were just at each other. He eats too much food and I never get enough food. And the food was only beans and rice. It wasn't great. He eats too much food. She never pulls her weight on the building site. She did about five bricks today. I watched her while I was trying to mix cement. He is always critical and never has an encouraging word to say. He is a backstabber. He says nice things. And we were just at one another. And the team leader very wisely said, okay, we had a daily Bible study. Ha, ha, ha. Did us no good. No, that's not true. It wasn't doing us much good. He said, okay, we just, uh, oh, look, let's just jump on a little bit. Let's just go to Colossians 3. He took us to Colossians 3. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's one of those wonderful moments where God and his kindness, kindness just brought complete conviction to all of us. We didn't really have a Bible study. He read those verses. And then we just went around, Jenna, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I've been overcritical. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I will. Dave, I'm really sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I forgive you. It's fine. Look, will you all forgive me? Because I do eat too much food. That wasn't me. The, um, uh, we just all went, it was wonderful. Magical. Not magical. God-given. Because when we look up, what Jesus Christ has done for us, oh, that'll affect how we relate to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. You're new if you're a Christian. You've put on the image of Jesus Christ. Now live that way. Live that way. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, it's an extraordinary truth that we've been raised with Christ, that resurrection power flows within the life of a believer, that we've put on a new self. Uh, uh, our old character has been put to one side. We've got a new character now. We don't have to go back to our old habits. You've given us the grace, the strength, the, the spiritual power to live differently. So will we live this way? Our Father, you know us well. We are not the perfect church. But Father, would we move in that direction? Would you grow us into the image of Jesus Christ individually and corporately? So we'd be marked as a group of people who treat one another with compassion, with kindness, with gentleness, with love. In the strength that Jesus Christ alone can give.
Amen.